everyone. Good to see you. Have your Bibles. We're going to look at Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four. First Peter, Second Peter. Did I say First Peter? Second Peter, chapter one, verses three and four. It's good to see all of our students back for the semester. You and you. Um, so we're starting a new semester, I guess, this week. Um, and this is a Sunday when I normally talk about like all the exciting things we have planned for the semester, get everyone hyped up. Boy, do we have some exciting Zoom meetings planned this semester. Um, okay, so... title of the sermon is New Habits for a New Year. <laughs> so two weeks ago, I talked about new attitude for a new year. This is new habits for a new year. Second Peter 1, 3, 4. Verse 3. Um, so, okay, so we have slides here, right? And uh, actually, I forgot. This is what I was going to do. Um, I asked Jim to, to keep... Um, the camera on me and not put it up on the slide because after having the Zoom worship um, I realized I can actually um, interact and do both see so I just posted the verses on the screen that work okay so I'm gonna do that and then we'll... second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather to worship. We thank you for your constant faithful grace in our lives that um, sustains us in hardships and difficulties in all circumstances. You sustain us. You keep us near. Uh, you keep our faith alive. And we pray that you would continue to do that through this time as we look at your word, strengthen our hearts through your, through your word, that our hearts would come alive to love you, to worship you, to be your hands and feet into this world that is in need of Christ. Lord, we depend on you for this hour. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I just want to dwell on these verses today kind of as a continuation of the, the, the last time, the previous sermon when I spoke, when we talked about new attitude for a new year, right? And that was from 1 Peter 
And, um, and actually later in this letter, in 2 Peter, Peter says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, this is now the second le letter that I'm writing to you. Okay, so he's thinking about the first one and the second one. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And he says, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So both of, in both of these letters, I'm stirring up uh, your mind by way of reminder. So Peter is saying basically that he has the same intent in these two letters. And in a nutshell, we saw that in the first letter, it was to remind them of the gospel truth. Because living in the reality of the gospel has obvious implications for how you live your life now, right? If the gospel is real to me, then I'm going to live a certain way. That was his intent. And that's why these verses that we just read are a continuation of that thought from 1 Peter. If you remember, Peter was saying to the Christians that were going through hardships in their lives, he was saying, be near the gospel, right? Reminding them of the gospel truth. He was saying, be near the gospel, be in the word, be in the fight. I persevere. So he was talking about those things, and uh, he's continuing that thought. And I want to kind of unpack those same ideas even further by dissecting these two verses. Because, again, living in the reality of the gospel has implications for how we live our lives today. And we'll do that in these verses by focusing on four words. By focusing on four words. And then you'll see that these four words. Um, the word power, oh no, what happened? Okay, I tried to do it again on the comment section, but then Facebook eliminates the bold text, so that was useless. Okay, the words are power, godliness, knowledge, promises. So we'll focus on those four words and then see how they relate uh, to one another. Okay? So first, power. The word power is talking about ability. right? If you have power, you have the ability to do something. No power means no ability. And uh, you and I, we all have power to some degree, right? Because we have the ability to, to do certain things. Right? But now, if you add the word divine before the word power, now we're talking about something entirely different. Because now we're talking about God's power. The ability to do anything. Unlimited power. Infinite power. That's what he says, right? His divine power. That's what he's talking about. God's unlimited, infinite power. This is the first thing that we have to have in mind. Peter is talking about divine power, God's ability to, to do beyond what we can even imagine. Power, divine, God's power. The next word is godliness. Godliness is talking about change, right? transformation, becoming a different person. In the first letter, Peter said, be holy. As, as God is holy, be holy as he is holy. And this is what we all want. We want to progressively become more like Christ and grow in godliness. 
But the problem is, now we have no ability, right? We have no power, we have no ability to do that in ourselves. You and I have as much ability to become godly as a zebra has the ability to become an elephant. I don't know why I thought of that, but it's not possible. There's zero possibility that that happens. A sinful human being has zero ability, no power, zero ability to become like God. That's like a zebra trying to become an elephant. No ability in ourselves to do that, to become like God. But Peter says his divine power has granted to us. So what that means is God who has the ability to do anything gives us godliness. Grants to us. Gives it to us. What we have no power to do, God does for us through His unlimited power. So now, how does this happen? How does God change us to godliness by His power? And that's where the next word comes in. Knowledge. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. This is talking about the knowledge of the gospel. We talked about Remember um, from 1 Peter, we talked about how how Peter talks about uh, components of the gospel, like past, present, and future, right? And we see that same idea here. He says, through the knowledge of him who called us, right? That's a past tense, past event, who called us to his own glory and excellence. So the words that he used in the first letter to describe the same idea was, he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's gospel present, element of the gospel that happened in the present. So so Peter's talking about living in the reality of what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Because when that knowledge is constantly in our minds, God uses that knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel, to change us. His power is at work in us to produce godliness when the reality of that gospel truth functions in our our understanding. Knowledge. And then the fourth word is promises. It says, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Now, obviously, this is the future component of the gospel. We're living in the present. There's an aspect of the gospel that's past. There's as for the gospel that's future, that's coming, what Jesus accomplished, what he promises in the future, this is what he's talking about. What he has granted to us by his precious and very great promises. So not only knowledge of what Jesus accomplished, but understanding what, what, what we're hoping in, what his promises are. And living in that reality. Um, there's a McDonald's near our house as... I'm sure there's one near your house too. There's one everywhere. Whenever I drive by the McDonald's near our house, I get tempted because they offer um, large fries right now for $1 on the McDonald's app. And the thing, it's a daily deal. 
So that means I can get $1 large french fries every single day. But at the same time, I know that that's not good for me. I know that there are mysterious ingredients in those fries, just like in the COVID vaccine, right? So, so I should be weary. I should be weary of injecting those fries into my body. But they taste so good. So I sometimes fall into temptation and get those fries. But the interesting thing is, I realize, I get those fries usually when I'm driving away from the house and not when I'm driving toward the house. Because when I'm hungry, right? If I'm hungry and I'm going away from the house, I have no good food to look forward to. So I get those evil fries. But if I know that there are, there's like delicious barbecue ribs waiting for me at home, right? There's no way I'm stopping by McDonald's for cheap fries. You see, that's the power. That's the power of hoping in his precious and very great promises. Uh, the words that Peter used in 1 Peter to describe this very thing was living hope, he said to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, so, so, so the way it works is when we're moving away from God's love, right? Where, like if where I am spiritually in my life, where my heart is right now, if I'm, if I'm going away from God's love, we can easily fall into temptations and live in sin. But when we're moving toward God's love, right? when we're hoping in an imperishable inheritance that we know is waiting for me at home, then we can escape the temptations of the sinful desire. That's the power of hope. That's the, the hoping in the, the future element of the gospel, his precious and very great promises. Okay? So those, those are the four words, power, godliness, knowledge, promises, when we dwell in the knowledge of, of the gospel, when we dwell in the knowledge of the gospel and hope in his promises, then, and you see that in, in, um, in this next slide, um, right? So, so think about this. Um, so I'm basically taking out the, the middle section that talks about the knowledge of the gospel and hoping in his promises. Like see the beginning and the end of the verses, right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he talked about through knowledge of the gospel, through, through hoping in his promises, so that through them you may become participators, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful nature. So that's saying, this is how we grow in godliness. This is how we become partakers of the divine nature. This is how we become more like Jesus Christ. This is how we escape the corruption of the sinful nature. In other words, God uses the knowledge of the gospel and our hope in his promises to produce godliness. God's power is manifested in our lives when we live in the reality of the gospel. That's why we need to stay near the gospel. 
And that is why we need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Word to stay near the Gospel because when we do that, God's power does something in our hearts that we cannot do. It transforms us when we live in the reality of the truth, the knowledge of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so two applications for us. Short sermon, right? That's what you think. Okay, anyway, two applications for us. One negative application, one positive. One like, uh, don't do this, one do this. One negative, one positive application. Uh, First one, the word of God is important because if we're apart from the word of God, we will eventually fall away from the faith. The word of God is important because if we are apart from the word of God, we will eventually fall away from the faith. Theologically, this makes sense. That's exactly what these verses are talking about. Okay, so it makes sense because we cannot change. We can't change our own hearts. Only God can change us. But that happens when we're constantly reminded of the gospel. And that only happens when we're near the word of God. So that means... Apart from the word of God, there's no transformation. There's nothing happening here toward Christ, toward godliness, conforming to the image of Christ. That's not happening here. So inevitably, if I'm away from the word of God, eventually I'll fall away from the faith. Theologically, that makes sense. Practically, it also makes sense. Right? I mean, think about it. Like your relationship with the Word of God is on and off. It has been on and off. And uh, maybe we've been kind of like accepting mediocre Christianity for a while. Because why? Because in the back of our minds, you're thinking, I can bounce back. I can come back later. When things change, circumstances change, whatever, then I can come back. Okay. But I was thinking, you know, like for, the, for most of us, right? It's a long way to the end of our lives. And you're thinking, I have a long way to bounce, long time, like a lot of opportunities to bounce back. But that also means a lot can happen to not make that happen. A lot can happen in 10, 20, 30, 40 years to make us further and further away from God, to go further and further away from God. There's a McDonald's on almost every corner. Right? You're going to come across a few McDonald's, really tempting McDonald's in the course of your life. And uh, I mean, I was kind of thinking about this because like I'm 50 now. And to be honest, like I feel like in this past year, I faced temptations to not persevere. Thoughts that I, I, I've never thought before. At the age of 50, after having been doing this for like, Decades, you know? And that's what I mean. Like, it's a long way. You're going to face all kinds of things. There's no way, just practically, there's no way that, that we can overcome those things apart from the Word of God. That's what, like, those things, is, the, the, 
are the traps that we'll fall into if we're away from the Word. The Word of God is important because like if you're kind of like, you know, lukewarm, in and out, church, God, Bible, in and out, that path inevitably leads to falling, falling away from the Lord. The positive application is uh, the value of discipline. Understand the value of discipline. I was listening to an interview of Dr. Kent Hughes talking about his book, Disciples of a Godly Man. No, Disciplines. Disciplines of a Godly Man. I don't, I don't think it's a new book. I actually don't know. But um, I was kind of listening to him talking about it and the importance of discipline things like that. And I was reminded again of the importance of discipline in a Christian's life. Because our sinful hearts are constantly saying no to godly things and yes to ungodly, you know, Big Macs in our lives, right? And it's discipline. It's discipline that trains us to say yes to the Word of God and the things that are good for our souls. Especially now, especially these days, when the lack of motivation is probably at an all-time high. Discipline is so much more important in our lives. This is why um, uh, having a schedule, right? Having a Bible uh, quiet time schedule is important. That's why um, the discipline of writing things down is important. That's why habitual times, habitual places for devotion is important. That's why reading the word, um, praying, the spiritual disciplines, that's why it's so much more valuable right now because the circumstances go against that. Think about the value of discipline and what not having discipline does right now for our spiritual lives. You know, that kind of thinking of like, oh, we're just free. Don't want to be a legalist. Don't want to be enslaved to a schedule. Like that kind of thinking gets us everywhere but to the Word of God. The value of discipline. Having to do something that I don't necessarily want to do in my sinful nature. Having to be accountable to my accountability partner to, to actually email these notes out. The value of discipline. Um, I thought this would be a good time to remind us that we still have Zoom morning prayer going on these days, right? In case that might be helpful to you. Right? Some of you, I know, were pretty consistent in coming out when we started it online. And maybe your schedule's changed since then. But we still have it. We still have it available for our church if that's something that would be helpful to you. And if that's something that you know will be helpful to you, then commit to it. Make it a part of your spiritual discipline. Because right now we need to prioritize habits of spiritual, good spiritual disciplines uh, in our daily schedules. I was uh, recently shopping online for a good mask, right? Like everyone wants a good mask these days, right? Uh, in particular, I was looking for some masks for our boys to play basketball in because the Minnesota regulation right now, you have to have a mask on to play, even in practice and, and, and games. And so, you know, like, how do you breathe in these masks? And so I was, like, looking for the perfect mask, 
right? One that fits well, one that's breathable, one that's comfortable, and all of those things. And I was like researching, listening, uh, looking at reviews and things like that, and I realized that there is no perfect mask. The, the pursuit, the pursuit of the perfect mask, I realize is such an American way to think. And that's reflected in the, the, the Amazon reviews, the Amazon reviews of all these, because there's so many reasons why people gave bad reviews for every mask you can find. I didn't like the material, it's too itchy. It says it's breathable, but it's not any more breathable than any other mask. I didn't like the price. I didn't like the strap. I didn't like the packaging. I didn't like the sizing chart. One person said, oh, everything was fine, but then they still wrote a bad review about this mask because when the masks arrived, they realized that the masks were made in Wuhan, China. And so, you know, like to this person, like, how can I wear a mask that's made in Wuhan, China? Like, bad review. And that's the thing, I realized like, we're such a complaining culture. We're such a hard-to-please generation. We need people, and we need to be people with a different attitude. You know, the mask that you picked, ordered, arrives. And then you write the review. I got the mask, and the strap was broken, but I tied it together, and then it was perfect. Five stars. Good attitude. I got the mask, and it was clearly previously worn. There were spit marks. It was pretty smelly. But I washed it, and now it's perfect. Five stars. Good attitude. Right? No matter what the circumstances are. What's that verse? Problem's not the problem, but your attitude about the problem. That's the attitude that we need to have in our hearts as we live for God. God, as long as you give me breath in these lungs, no matter what the circumstances are, I will live for you. Because there there are no perfect ideal circumstances to live out the Christian faith. There will always be hardships, always be sufferings. So no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what I face, we'll live for the Lord because that's what we said yes to. I received a, I received this email uh, this past week from my my presbytery. Like it's an email that went out to all the pastors in the presbytery that this uh, a retired pastor in our presbytery, um, who I didn't know personally, Reverend John Tejong Yu, uh, that he had passed away, to, gone to be with the Lord at the age of uh, ninety, I think. And uh, in this email, it included a link to his the website obituary and things like that. And so I, I was reading his obituary and I was like so rebuked. Um, it said, so there's a portion of it, it said, he graduated from Seoul National University after serving in the Korean Air Force, immigrated to the U.S., got a master's degree in chemical engineering, worked as a chemical engineer, 
then uh, after some time had a second career in, as an insurance agent. Then at the age of 59, he got his second master's degree at Wheaton College, got ordained and served as a pastor in Chicago and in Korea for many years. And then he retired at the age of 72, served in a few different local churches by supporting the next generation. And then after he retired, he served as a president of the Association of Retired Korean American Pastors. And then he received his PhD in interdisciplinary studies at the age of 81. He did research, writing, and the history of Christianity in China. And then it says, in addition to his educational scholarly pursuits, he was an avid gardener. Uh, got his PhD at 81 and uh, did a whole lot of things after he retired. And then it went on to talk about like other aspects of his life, how it says he was the first in his family. I wasn't actually going to read this because I thought this might be discouraging for many of us to realize how much he accomplished in his life. It said he was like, it said he was the first one in his family to become a Christian at the age of 15. And then it says, he led everyone in his family to Christ. Okay. So I read all that. And I was like, oh man, what am I doing with my life? Uh, but I think that's the thing. Oh, I mean, like, that's not what we're supposed to think. What we're supposed to realize is that Reverend Yu, Dr. Yu, as well as you and I are the same in that none of us have the ability to live for God by ourselves. Reverend you, as well as you and I, all have the same God. But the thing is, this God has divine power. He's all-powerful, infinite, unlimited in power. And he's the one that promises to do the work in us that he intends to accomplish in our lives as we remain near the gospel, dwell in the gospel truth, what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. As we, instead of hoping in relatively temporary things in this world, hoping in the eternal promises, what's waiting for us at home as we live in the reality of that truth god promises to accomplish what he intends to accomplish in the lives of his people and what that translates to is we can do anything we can do anything for god if we're intent on serving him living for him with all of our hearts so don't let circumstances and this and that become excuses. We need to put that aside. God, as long as you give me another breath to breathe in my lungs, I'm going to breathe that for you. I'm going to live it for you. This day, this semester, this year, no matter what happens, I'm going to build new habits, live my life for you. Let's pray together. We need to have a new attitude for a new year a new attitude that overcomes all challenging circumstances. And then 
Let's also establish new habits for this new year. Let's commit ourselves uh, to some uh, helpful, positive daily disciplines that will keep us in His Word, that will keep us on our knees, that will uh, move us away from isolation toward others, because when we're together, we're stronger, so that we can experience the grace that comes to us through one another, so we can be a blessing to others in our lives. Let's build some new habits for this new year and commit ourselves to follow Jesus Christ faithfully. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can trust and bank our lives on. We thank you for the hope of an imperishable inheritance that will not fade perish. Help us to live in that reality today. Strengthen our hearts through the gospel truth we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pray together thinking about how we have a God who can do immeasurably more. Can do infinitely more, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Uh, so that means my heart, my relationships, my family, my church, uh, my country, my world, this world, we can do immeasurably more. So let's put aside all the excuses and complaints and uh, you know, when we're right, about to write another bad review, let's take our eyes off of the product and let's look at, look at God. He can do immeasurably more through all circumstances and anyone, through anyone, can do anything. He can turn a zebra into an elephant. He can turn me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So let's think about that. Just commit ourselves to pray for this uh, the upcoming months. If you're a student for this semester, okay. uh, if you're not, what's going on in your work, in your life? Um, let's pray for these things. Let's pray together for our church, all the challenges, and, um, how we can grow spiritually together. Let's pray for this upcoming semester. Depend on God for that. And I'll close this in prayer. Benediction. Father, we thank you once again for your grace, mercy in our lives. Realize we come to you in the realization of the, the constant struggle, the temptation, and the um, adverse situations that we live in. And even the inclination in our hearts to try to get away from it and to look for what is ideal to uh, the, the path of least resistance so we come before you uh, in that in that reality but we ask that you would help us to uh, capture a new reality based on the word of god gospel truth hope in your promises pray that that would be the, the prevailing truth, knowledge in our minds, and our hearts. Help us to dwell in the Word of God daily, constantly, meditating on your Word, living in that reality so that we can uh, 
be uh, your, your hands and feet ambassadors. So many people struggling, want to serve, want to be a blessing to others, use us for that purpose. So many challenges that we face, help us approach it with a new attitude. Um, we have no confidence in ourselves. Uh, circumstances in life look bleak, but our hope is in you. We trust in your word. Help us to constantly look to you. Give us strength. Help us to love you more with all of our hearts. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this unchanging, faithful covenant love of the Father God and the fellowship, the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.